The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Just about every day, uh, constantly just keeping each other up and, and informed in the various things that are happening in their life, whether it's just the mundane stuff, whether it's just questions that they've got, or the really exciting things in their life. They basically just they get in contact with each other, and as they do, they're, just, they're stoking the coals of their forever friendship. It's this really wonderful thing to see. And as Kirsty's husband, I just love seeing her talking to her sister. Now, you don't have to be sisters to enjoy that kind of friendship. You don't have to be sisters to enjoy that kind of fellowship with other people. And so uh, I hope we don't rule ourselves out if we don't have that. But we're jumping this morning into what I think is just one of the most delightful, sweet sections of Scripture that we find in the New Testament. Like, it really is wonderful. I was trying to think of a good illustration to demonstrate how wonderful I, I, I've been finding this this week. And I was trying to think of like, you know, when you're eating something and then there's something within whatever you're eating that's just really good, like a chocolate chip in a chocolate chip cookie. Like that's the thing that you really like, you hope to get lots of. And I was trying to think of a really good illustration. And I was working in a cafe on Thursday afternoon, trying to think about this. And then Ainsley, I don't think Ainsley's here, like Ainsley walked in and I was like, Ainsley, great. What's a thing that represents this? And she's like, oh... It's when you're having hot chips by the beach and then you get that really, really good hot chip. Now, I don't want to be too controversial here because um, different people have different ideas of what the ideal hot chip is. But my ideal hot chip is the, the kind of hot chip that is like small and crispy and a bit oily, like a bit too oily. Like you, like you kind of feel guilty going for that one, but it's you, like you want that one. This passage is that hot chip, is that really oily, extra chicken salt hot chip in the midst of a pile of chips as you sit at Moffat Beach. That's what this passage is. So, just, so next time you're at Moffat Beach and you're eating the hot chips, think of Mary and Elizabeth. There you go. I've, I've connected two wires there in your mind that you'll never be able to undo. It tells us of an interaction between two women. It's Mary, the, the mother of Jesus the Messiah, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Now, they aren't sisters, they are cousins, but these two women become inextricably bonded. And it's not just over their shared experience of motherhood, but in a far deeper way, they are bonded together through sharing in joy together at what God was doing in their lives. Now, this passage is all about joy. Kids, I know that one of the questions on your worksheet is, what is the main point of this? And the main point is going to be on the screen behind me. You can copy that out, but if it's too much, you can just write down the word joy. That's what this passage is about. It's about joy. Here's my main point. God loves you. And God wants you to discover the always lovely, unending, bulletproof joy that is found only in Him. So if you're a fan of joy, you'll love Jesus. If you like joy, you'll love Jesus because He wants your joy to be in Him because He wants your joy to be big. He wants your joy to be lovely. He wants your joy to be unending. He wants your joy to be bulletproof. That is, it can't be taken away. And he has gone to great lengths to secure that joy for us. And so we're going to explore this joy in Jesus Christ in three sub-points this morning. Firstly, joy experienced. Secondly, joy shared. 
And thirdly, joy expressed. So firstly, joy experienced a jumping baby. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a baby jump, but this story is about a baby that's jumping. Reading from verse 39, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, just to give you some background, when Luke sat down to write his lengthy gospel account of the life of Jesus, he decided to start it with a childless elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and he was working in the temple at this time, and uh, was actually working in the, he was assigned to work in the Holy of Holies and offer incense. And while he was in there, he was visited by the angel Gabriel, who told him that his wife would become pregnant with a son. Now, this was remarkable for a couple of really main, major reasons. Firstly, Elizabeth was unable to have children. And secondly, they were both very old. They were, they were both past their childbearing years. But Gabriel told Zechariah that his son would have a very special role in God's plan to prepare God's people for the arrival of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And so Zechariah went home, and as sure as Gabriel had said, his wife Elizabeth fell pregnant. Six months later, Gabriel then went and visited a much younger woman named Mary, who was engaged to, a, engaged to be married to a godly man named Joseph. And before they were married, Gabriel visited Mary and told her that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit with a son and would name him Jesus. Now, there was deep controversy about this, about Mary being pregnant outside of marriage, Mary being a virgin. In this culture, this would have been the source for deep shame for her. This is the kind of thing that would have gotten tongues wagging behind her back, that would have uh, sparked gossip in the town. She would become the topic of much gossip and it would have caused her family a lot of public disgrace. Now, if you want to see how her husband, her, how her fiancé, Joseph, responds in this moment, you can go and read Matthew chapter 1. But Luke doesn't tell us this part of the story. Uh, instead, he tells us that Mary went with haste, that's important, with haste, to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up the story today. Reading from verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And this is one of those moments that is just sweeter than honey. John the Baptist at this stage was six months in utero, 26 weeks. Now I'd be interested to talk to some of the midwives here about what, is, what the baby's like, and I did a bit of Googling. John at this stage would have been about 30 centimeters long. He would have had uh, hair on his head. His eyebrows would be well-defined by now. His skin would be translucent. His nostrils would be starting to open, and apparently a thing called practice breathing would be happening. I don't know what that means. Maybe talk to Jazz if you see Jazz. She's, a, she's starting to be a midwife, or someone else who knows more than me about this stuff. And he would be able to recognize his mother's voice at this age. But it's not his mother's voice that actually causes him to leap. It's a different mother's voice. It's the voice of Mary, the mother of his, of his Lord. In fact, John responds before his mom Elizabeth can. Mary comes in, she says hi, and before Elizabeth can reply, John replies with this huge jump. Now this isn't just a kick. This isn't just a baby kicking. Elizabeth says that he leapt 
for joy. And the Greek word that lends itself to, uh, that lends itself to saying more than just a kick, but actually a, a giant leap. Think about young horses bounding around in a field skittishly. That's the image that, Mary, that Elizabeth is trying to describe here. And I wonder, what causes you to jump for joy? What causes you to leap in joy? For some of you, leaping for joy might not be an option anymore. Maybe, you know those Toyota commercials where they leap for joy? What causes you to actually jump in the air for joy? If you're here and you're not a Christian, the idea of Jesus causing us to, to leap for joy, to having that kind of joy that causes us to jump, that might seem like a really strange thing for you. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian, and the idea of Jesus bringing this kind of joy to us is a foreign concept to you. If that's you, I'd like to invite you to the long journey, the lifelong journey of discovering the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, there's a sense that we should want to be like John here. Six months in utero, John, that we should be try to we would want to be like John here. Too often I find myself delighting in trivial things, delighting in temporary things. As C.S. Lewis describes it, I'm far too easily pleased by trivial things. Like if you're not finding joy in Jesus Christ, it's it's likely it's not it's not that it's it's like your appetite is actually too small. You you're far too easily pleased. That's the reality for me. So how is it? That Jesus brings us joy. Like, what is it about Jesus that, that causes us to, to have that kind of joy? Well, the answer is actually found in our text. Half of the answer comes from Mary and half the answer comes from Elizabeth. You see, Christian joy, joy from Jesus, joy that finds its, its, its root in Jesus is a, is a fountain that is fed by two springs. The first spring is that Jesus is our Lord. Elizabeth asks, Elizabeth asks this question in verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Don't miss that. She's looking at her younger cousin Mary, she's, and she's saying, the, the son that you're pregnant with is my king. That's what Elizabeth is saying in this. Don't miss that. He is my Lord. It's a simple recognition that the baby that her cousin was pregnant with was her king. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior that Israel had been waiting for. If you've been with us for the last couple of months as we've been exploring the Old Testament, you'll know that this is the Messiah, this is the king that Israel had been waiting for, that had been prophesied about, that had been hinted at. From, from the very beginning of Genesis, from Genesis 3.15, Jesus is beginning to be hinted at from there. And here's Elizabeth saying, yeah, he's, he's inside of you right now. He's in your belly. That's the first spring that, that, that feeds Christian joy. The second spring that feeds Christian joy is that Jesus is our Savior. Mary says in verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is recognizing that in that moment, God was providing salvation for her and for all of mankind. The, the son that she was pregnant with was her Savior. Jesus our Lord and Jesus our Savior are two springs, are the two springs that feed the fountain of Christian joy. And if you want to grow in joy in the Lord, if you're finding that, 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 that joy is depleted, you must first know that Jesus is Lord. 
He's king. That means he's in charge. Like I've been trying to think of a way. Like we don't think of, we don't use the language like kings and lords these days. But it means that Jesus is in charge. He's the one that that determines the, the course of our life. He he determines how we respond to the things in our life. We must know that Jesus is our Lord, and we must submit to Him. That's the, that's the source of Christian joy. And we also must know that Jesus is our Savior. He is the only one that can save us from our sins. If we want to experience the always lovely, the unending, the bulletproof joy that pierces through heartache, that pierces through horrible situations, that gets us through, we've got to submit to Christ as Lord, and we've got to trust in Jesus, our Savior. Now, you might be wondering, how is that good news? Like, what, Where is the good news there? We live in a day and age where autonomy and self-expression are esteemed as the best things a person could ever hope for that a person could ever hope to achieve? How is Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior, how is that good news for us? The answer to that question is huge, but I would simply put to you that everyone who seeks to be their own Lord, everyone who seeks to be in charge of their own lives, everyone who seeks to be the master of their fate and the captain of their soul will not might, but will eventually find themselves to be unqualified for the task and they'll make a mess of their lives in the process. And anyone who seeks to be saved from their sins by some other means other than Jesus, who who looks to some other thing to save them from whatever they're in, who goes to whatever it is to save them, that they will find that thing to not just be inadequate, but actually be detrimental. Our only hope in life and death is that tiny baby in Mary's womb. We're going to talk a bit, a bit more about that towards the end, about what it looks like to call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. So first of all, we see this joy experienced in John the Baptist. The second thing is joy shared, and we see the story now of a prophesying cousin. Continuing in verse 41, And after feeling her son leap for joy, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, like she's yelling this, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. One of the things that we might miss here is the deep controversy surrounding Mary being pregnant outside of being married. This was highly taboo in this culture. Mary would have been considered an absolute disgrace for this. Now Matthew's Gospel tells us that Joseph was visited by an angel to assure him that this was actually uh, the work of God, the plan of God, and so Joseph, being a righteous man and believing what God had told him, went ahead with a marriage. But we're not told that an angel visited Mary's parents about this. We're not told that Gabriel went and visited the rest of her extended family. We're not told that a, a messenger from God went and visited the people of Nazareth just to explain that this is actually okay. We're not told about that. And I think that provides us a bit of an explanation, or at least a bit of background, for why Mary went with haste to Elizabeth. It's a 150-kilometer journey or so, And she went with haste. She went straight away there. We don't know if her parents went with her. We don't know the circumstances around that. But if you read earlier, you'll learn that actually Elizabeth had been keeping her own pregnancy a secret. You can read that in chapter 1, verse 24. 
But the angel told Mary about Elizabeth's pregnancy. And I think that's a really important detail. It seems that Mary, expecting that public reception of her, was about to get pretty icy, like people weren't going to be huge fans of Mary after this, that Mary went to the only woman who she thought might understand. She went to someone else who had also, according to this angel, who had also experienced the divine upon her life. She went to her cousin Elizabeth, her elderly cousin Elizabeth. Now when I read this, I think it's just so kind of God that Gabriel told Mary that a cousin was miraculously pregnant. Not by the Holy Spirit, mind you, but miraculous nonetheless. Up until this week, as I've been working on this, up until this week, I've always thought that the reason why Mary was told about Elizabeth's pregnancy was just to kind of bolster Mary's faith. And I think that might be part of it, but I'm now pretty convinced that this is actually a bit of a lifeline for Mary. So now that Mary knew that Elizabeth was pregnant, she went to her in haste. But keep in mind that Elizabeth had no idea at this stage that Mary was pregnant. Mary was likely only in her first or second week in in a pregnancy, likely not to have been showing at all. But when John leaps for joy at the sound of his Lord's voice, at his Lord's mother's voice, at the sound of Mary's voice, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to prophesy over Mary. She begins to shout out in wonderful, in joy at these wonderful blessings for Mary and these wonderful truths about God and the work that he is doing in both of their lives. And this helps Mary to share in Elizabeth's joy. You see, these two women became bound together, not just in their shared experience of motherhood, but even deeper, they were bound together by sharing in the joy that comes from Jesus Christ in the midst of strife, in the midst of disgrace. You see, Elizabeth had also experienced cultural disgrace. She was unable to have kids, which is still a difficult thing to go through. But back then it was, a, it was a public disgrace. In verse 25, after she fell pregnant with John, it says that she praised God, saying that the Lord had taken away her disgrace. And here's Mary about to experience the cultural disgrace of being pregnant outside of marriage. Can you see why it's so important for Mary to see Elizabeth now? Can you see why it's so important for Mary to go with haste to Elizabeth? This was perhaps, there was perhaps no one better than Elizabeth to walk with Mary through this time. And so it's Elizabeth's words here that begin to strip away the, the disgrace that Mary might be tempted to feel. Blessed are you among women. Isn't that wonderful, that word, that, that line? Blessed are you amongst all women. When Mary would have been feeling, quite, might have been feeling very different to that. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. When Mary was no doubt anticipating that her life might just get a bit more complicated, Elizabeth turns that on its head for, for Mary and declares that this baby is not a curse. This baby is a blessing. The two women, they, they had a complex relationship with shame 
and disgrace. And God propelled them together into community with one another amidst their strife, amidst their predicament, so that they could share in the joy of Jesus Christ. God brought these two extraordinary women together to help them understand and process and celebrate the work that God was doing in each of their lives. And this is the wonderful and penetrating reality of Christian joy in community. You see, when we come together as God's people on a Sunday morning, we are gathering together as a people who, in the words of Sam Albury, are both amazing and a mess. We are made in the image of God, and, and, and that makes us amazing amongst all of God's creatures. This is why we read out Psalm 8 this morning, that, that inexplicable psalm that just says, you've made mankind just a little lower than, than the heavenly beings. How wonderful are you, God? We are, we are amazing, and yet we are also born under the curse of sin, and that makes us a mess. We are these complex beings, but praise God that he brings us together in Christian community to understand and to process and to celebrate the work that God is doing in each of our lives. The reason why God brings us together on a Sunday morning is so that we can gather with other believers and be conduits of his grace, to pass on the grace of Jesus to one another. Like, you might come to church thinking that this is about you and God, and I just want you to know, and I love you, but you're wrong. This is not about you and God. We come to church to sing together so we can sing loudly together and, and drown out the piano. We, we've, we've got a choir in our church and I'm looking at it. We come to sing loudly because as we sing, we're sharing the grace of Jesus Christ with one another. We, we come to share that. If you're a Christian, your faith is, is not something that you do on your own, but you gather in a community of other complex beings with people who are like you, people who are amazing and people who are a mess. And we gather together for this purpose of celebrating the God who loves us. You might come to church on Sunday morning thinking, I hope the preaching is good. You might come to church on Sunday morning thinking, I hope, this, I hope the worship's good. I hope, my, I hope you know, the morning tea is good. It's just aunt's biscuits again. Sorry about that. You might, be coming, you might come to church on, on Sunday mornings thinking, I, I, hope, I, hope I'm, I hope I'm blessed. I'm hoping, I'm, I, I hope you are blessed. But we should be coming to church on Sunday mornings saying, how can I serve? And I, and I mean more than just sitting at the chairs and, and doing the serving around. And that's a really good thing, and we, we need people to do that. That's, that's a good thing. But coming to church on a Sunday morning hoping that you get to encourage another believer, hoping that, that your presence here would edify another believer, hoping that, that something that you could say or do for another believer might encourage them in their walk with God. That means that when we come together on a Sunday morning, we should be coming together in the same way that Mary and Elizabeth come together. Coming together in vulnerability. Coming together in patience with one another. And as we are patient with one another in our vulnerabilities, we'll experience that same grace that Mary and Elizabeth felt and we'll share in the same joy together as pilgrims along the way. Maybe you come to church on a Sunday morning worried that everyone else is going to find out that secret thing about you. But maybe your vulnerability in this community will transform that secret to being a bridge that would enable other believers to carry grace into your life. 
when we come together as a church on a Sunday morning, let's be like Mary, who, who went to the community, went to her, her cousin in vulnerability, willing to go, hey, I'm, I don't know how you're going to respond to this. I don't know how you're going to respond to the thing in my life. And sometimes we're like, when we come to life group or we come to church, and we come into Christian community and we're, we, we hold ourselves back because we don't want the Christian community around us to know what's actually true about us. But can I guarantee you that when you come in vulnerability that you're going to have other believers who are going to carry grace into your life. Let's come to Christian community like Elizabeth and being patient with one another and allowing the Holy Spirit to talk to us and say, hey, this person, they, their life is complex, but, but maybe you've been put into their situation to carry grace into their lives. When we come to, together as a body of believers on a Sunday morning or in life groups or serving together or some other way as we come together, let's come in vulnerability, not thinking that we've got to have it all together to, to come to church to hell with the idea that you have to be a good person to come to church. And I chose that sentence, I chose that line, those words specifically. To hell with the idea that you have to have your life sorted and all the pieces in place to come to church. To hell with the idea that you have to present the very best version of yourself to come to church. I hope that spirit, whatever it is, dies. I hope that when we come to church, we don't feel like I've got to be a good person. I've got to have my life together. And if this has been a rough week, I can't go to church. Listen, if that's where you're at, I would love to pray for you after the service. I, and I, I would love, I hope our church is in that place. I would love for you to, for you to be part of that and help build that place, build that community. And they, if you want me to do it, sorry, I can't do it on my own. You need to come to church willing to be vulnerable with, with, other, with other believers, willing to be patient and go, yeah, okay, you're a mess, but I'm here with you. God is doing something in your life. I don't know what that is, but blessed are you that God is doing this in your life. Joy shared. Part number three, joy expressed. And this is where we see Mary as an exalting believer. This next section is known as Mary's Magnificat. And I'll tell you right now, it deserves a lot more attention than I'm about to give it. Okay, so I'm only going to be looking at the first two lines of Mary's Magnificat. If you read that, I'm like, oh, sweet, I get to actually hear this. Um, I did preach on this two years ago for our Christmas series, so you can go to our website, you can find that. I think I did an okay job. I was looking at the notes this week. It's okay. Um, don't get your hopes up. So I'm only going to be looking at the first couple of lines. Upon hearing Elizabeth's words... Mary begins to exalt in God as she is elevated in joy in him. And she says these words, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Those two lines there are incredible. Like I didn't realize how incredible they were until I was actually looking at it again this week. They're written in beautiful parallelism. When Mary refers to her soul and her spirit, she's describing her complete being. Not two separate or individual entities that have different function. It's a reference to her life and her identity, as if she's saying, me and myself. Her soul and her spirit cannot be divided. And so since they are united, the activities of her soul and her spirit are united also. Namely, magnifying God and rejoicing in him. Here's what this means. 
in the same way that her soul and her spirit are two sides of the same coin, magnifying God and rejoicing in God are two sides, are also two sides of the same coin. Magnifying God and rejoicing in God are two sides of the same coin, finding joy in God. You can't magnify God without rejoicing in Him, without enjoying Him. And you can't enjoy God without magnifying Him. If you want to enjoy God, yet only ever magnify yourself, you'll never enjoy God and you'll be miserable. And at the same time, you will not be able to glorify God without enjoying Him. If your theology leads you to be dry and miserable, it's likely that you're not actually magnifying God, but you're magnifying your theology. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is an old, uh, an old Christian document, begins with this question. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose for humanity? What is the chief end of man? The answer that it gives is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And if you take John Piper's suggestion, which I do, you'd say that man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And I, say, I take that suggestion partly because of what we read here about Mary. Her soul magnifies God by or through the fact that her spirit is enjoying Him. She is glorifying God because she is enjoying Him. And as she enjoys Him, she glorifies Him. And as she glorifies Him, she enjoys Him. And as she's enjoying Him, she glorifies Him. When we start to magnify God and enjoy Him, it becomes a bonfire of joy that just will continue to grow. So what is it about God that causes Mary to rejoice in Him? That causes Mary to magnify Him? She says it there. It's that Jesus is her Lord and her Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, like I said earlier, are two springs that feed the fountain of always lovely, unending, bulletproof joy. You see, as Lord, God rules. He is the King. He holds all things together. He is sovereign over all things, and He is the judge. He is the perfect judge. He rules with justice, and one day, every person one day will have to face Him. And as Savior, He saves us from His judgment against sin. The source of always lovely, unending, bulletproof joy is that our Lord is also our Savior. And in love, He had mercy on us. And he laid down his life in our place. This is what is summed up there in verse 50, what Mary says. She says, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, mercy is kind restraint shown to an adversary who is under your power. It's possessing the power, the authority, and the opportunity to afflict upon your enemy exactly what they deserve, but instead showing kind restraint. How is it that God can do that? If God does not give people what they deserve, he can no longer be called just. So, how does he show mercy and justice? The answer is in Mary's belly. A little baby who is God. 
who would grow to become a man and would be falsely accused and punished for crimes that he did not commit. And he would do that willingly so that he could be the just and the justifier of those who believe in him. And when he was punished, he took on the sins of the world. And those who put their trust in Jesus will be justified by him. They'll be credited with his perfect record as he takes responsibility for their sin. And having been made righteous by Jesus Christ, those people would come into a relationship with God and they can submit to him as their Lord and trust in him as their Savior and thus drink forever at the, at the fountain of the always lovely, unending, bulletproof joy. If you want your joy to be big, go to Jesus Christ. He is the source of joy. In this moment, it feels a bit weird talking about joy. In fact, as I was looking over this last night and going through it, I just didn't feel it. I was reading going, I just don't feel it. And I was thankfully reading a book this week that said feelings are a pretty horrible indicator of how, of the truth of things, the truth of reality. The reality is that joy is to be found in Christ, and that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That's why it feels a bit weird to be approaching Christmas and everything that's going on in the world at the moment. It feels like it's a bit of a... It's a, I don't know about you, I feel the contrast deeply. Let's look at Jesus Christ as the source of our joy, as, as, as the fountain of, our, of that unending, of that beautiful, lovely, bulletproof, can never be taken away from us joy that will pierce through the, the horrible circumstances, that will pierce through the confusion, pierce through the, the difficulty. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.